Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Our economic indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. They call him Mr. Good News. Here's Vinny Del Judice at the First Word Desk with our numbers. Okay, Michael, let's start with the Consumer Price Index. It's up, up 0.4%, the most since 2016. This is an April number. Good news because it suggests uh, the economy could finally be picking up a little bit of steam. Of course, we saw higher energy prices, so that could figure into the mix as well. Housing starts, another number uh, pointing to good news. Housing starts up 6.6% in April to 1.172 million. Building permits also higher. So let's start from the top. CPI, the biggest month-over-month increase since 2013 in April, up 0.4%, more than forecast. Core excluding food and energy up 0.2%. Building permits, housing starts both up. Now at 9.15 Wall Street time, figures from the Federal Reserve on industrial production, uh, that number also forecast to be an increase. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dale Judice. Let's go back to New York. Vinny, thank you so much. There have been a number of yeah. economists on this program who have been uh, gloomy about the prospects for the economy. Uh, Mark Zandi is not one of them. He's uh, with Moody's Analytics, chief uh, economist there. And uh, Mark is at least um, classy enough not to be running around going, told you so, told you so. Well, it's a Zandi uh, number, and the two-year yield is in a Zandi direction. It's a very Zandi morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning to Mark Zandi. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I like the sound of all that. This is, this is what you and, uh, and a few others have said might be happening. Yeah, the economy feels fine to me. I mean, we've gotten the good jobs numbers. I mean, the the, the soft top line number, notwithstanding, um, retail sales were were very good, and these housing numbers are are good as well. So the economy feels fine to me. The uh, inflation number is obviously the one that's going to catch Wall Street's attention this morning. Uh, how, how much do you make of that? Because the the core rate uh, is unchanged. Uh, the headline rate is obviously going to be influenced by energy prices. Yeah, well, the core is uh, between two, two and a half percent year over year. Um, you know, just for context, the Fed's target uh, for core CPIs, although they don't state it explicitly, is uh, implicitly about two and a half percent. So we're just a bit south of where the Fed would like it to be. Um, but with the economy coming into full employment, wage growth picking up, uh, strong rent growth because of the tight housing market and, you know, still solid growth in medical care costs, I think we'll be back close to that target by certainly by this time next year. Because there's a, a you know, a different ways of looking at inflation. Janet Yellen has suggested the rise in inflation we had been seeing in the core rate was temporary. She looks at things like the Atlanta Fed sticky price index that uh, shows that the things they consider sticky in price hadn't moved all that much and suggests there wasn't a broad-based increase in inflation. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's broad-based yet, but uh, all the all the signs are and all the trend lines indicate that inflation uh, is more likely to accelerate than slow. Yes. And 
And I do think it, you know, we will be back to target uh, probably sooner than, than I think the consensus yeah. thinks, and maybe even she thinks. Mike, Atlanta GDP now 2.8%. Remember the headlines being made sub 1%. And then with a reset, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 resets up to 2.8%. Mark, I want to talk to you about your academics at Penn and, of course, the legend of, of Lawrence Klein. He did a lot of work on inertial force and momentum. We're using the phrase now overshoot, which comes from Dornbush up at MIT. But really, Mr. Klein, Professor Klein, was the one who codified it within econometrics. Is there such a thing as momentum within economic growth? Yeah, he was a great man, Larry Klein, uh, you know, a wonderful man uh, on every level. Uh, yeah, I think there's something to that. Uh, you know, I, some things like inflation do have uh, – momentum isn't the greatest word. In fact, I don't think he even liked that word, momentum. Uh, but it certainly has uh, uh, inertial aspects to it. It kind of feeds on itself. Uh, and, of course, in terms of inflation, you know, if it gets into the uh, into wages and wages accelerate, then that pushes up prices. You know, the, that's the infamous wage price spiral. Will we I see that? that? Do you presume no. with it? But, but this is critical, folks, because Zandi's been a pinata recently for his optimism. We're beginning to see a Zandi world. Does it fold into a Walter Heller wage price spiral? No, I, I, it, but it overstates the case. Uh, you know, I think it, there's a case. Uh, uh, you know, I do think inflation is going to pick up. And, and, and I think to some degree the Federal Reserve wouldn't be unhappy with that if, if inflation picked up and was above target for a while, just as long as inflation expectations didn't come untethered. But a wage price spiral, no, I, I, I don't see that. I mean, lots have changed since uh, Larry Klein worked on these issues back, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Back then you had lots of cost of living adjustments and wage contracts, that kind of thing. They're no longer there. Inflation expectations are, are, are nailed down. They weren't back 25, 30 years ago because policymakers really didn't understand the role of inflation expectations at that point in time. So it's a very different world. So no, but uh, you know, I think uh, everyone should. Uh, I, I think the, the the odds are very high that inflation is going to be above target uh, 18, 24 months from now. Let's come back and talk more yeah. about uh, the outlook for the economy with, with Mark. Mike, and we should mention, I mean, we had a two-basis point move in the two-year, which is not insubstantial, 0.81% on the two-year. So it was a market-moving report. No no question about that. No. Don't want to oversell it, but nevertheless, there it is. I would really go to the asymmetrical idea of gloom. It's very comfortable to talk about gloom. And yet a huge turnaround in the Atlanta GDP, even getting out uh, over the optimism of the middle of February, 2.8%. you got to believe that statistic may migrate a bit higher here as well. Futures negative four, Dow futures. Uh, Dow futures negative 30 on the Bloomberg. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. It has been a violent day in Baghdad. Iraqi officials say at least 36 people are dead after a wave of car bombing struck outdoor markets today. No one has claimed responsibility, but experts say it has the look of the Islamic State. The U.S. State Department has issued a blunt travel ban aimed at North Korea. State Department spokesman John Kirby is urging Americans to stop going to North Korea. Um, uh, in some ways, in terms of laying out what we've, you know, the kinds of, and it's not an exhaustive list, by the way, but it is an ex- a list of examples of 
uh, activities for which we have seen uh, foreigners be given unduly harsh sentences. So, yes, it was a little bit uh, more specific and a little bit more blunt in some ways. Kirby says it is possible to get into trouble, including showing disrespect to the country's current and former leaders, taking unauthorized photos, and shopping at stores not designated to foreigners. President Obama's request for money to combat the Zika virus is about to get a response from the Senate. It likely won't pass the requested $1.9 billion measure. The procedural vote is scheduled today on three competing plans. A bipartisan $1.1 billion bill is seen as having the best chance. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Precipity Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushkin. And good morning, Mike and Tom. The Yankees' struggles continue on the road as Chad Green lasted only four innings, allowing six runs in a 12-2 route by Arizona. Jake Lamb hit a three-run homer for the D-backs, who scored in all but two innings. Yankees should get some help, though. Both CC Sabathia and Alex Rodriguez expected back by the weekend. Series continues tonight. The Mets were idle, but tonight they host the Nationals. Noah Syndergaard entertains Max Scherzer. NBA Western Conference Finals Game 1 in Oakland goes to the Thunder 108-102. The duo of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook combined for 53, outlasting Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, who had a combined 51. The big difference was the fourth quarter when the Thunder tightened defensively, holding Golden State to just 14 points. It's the second time this year the Warriors have lost at home. The Brooklyn Nets introduced their new coach, Kenny Atkinson, to the New York media on Monday. I really felt like Sean was someone I could form a partnership with someone I could collaborate with, someone I could trust. And um, that really excited me, and it really made me aggressive in pursuing this job. I said, this is a guy I'd love to work with on a daily basis, be on the tr- in the trenches with, so um, I'm excited. Atkinson's referring to the hands-on approach of GM Sean Marks, and even Nets owner Mikhail Prokhorov was in on the interview process. The Knicks interviewed former Suns coach Jeff Hornacek for their vacancy on Monday. Last week, they met with Pacers head coach Frank Vogel. And on the ice, Pittsburgh edge Tampa Bay 3-2 to in overtime to even that series up at 1 as it shifts to Florida. And that is your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike and Tom? Mike, the Mets tonight. That's a real baseball game. That's Nationals. These are two front-line pitchers. Yeah, uh, first meeting of the year. Syndergaard uh, has been the best pitcher for the You and me, row four, Delta Gold. I like that idea. $300 a ticket. Yeah, thank you. I can see it. (laughs) Delta Gold. Lobster rolls. Lobster rolls. The Mets tonight. The Sports Report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. The spring sales event is happening now. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com. Land Rover above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Cameron Moscow. This update's brought to you by Pershing's Inside 2016 Conference, a must-attend for advisors June 7th through the 9th in Orlando, Florida. Register at insight2016.com. That's I-N-S-I-T-E 2016.com. The cost of living in the U.S. climbing in April by the most in... By climbing in April, consumer prices increased four-tenths percent. That was the biggest gain since February 2013, and it followed a one-tenth percent advance in March. 
and it climbed by the most in three years. New home construction rose in April. Residential starts increased 6.6% to a 1.17 million annualized rate from 1.1 million in March. Permits a proxy for future construction also climbed. And futures this morning are lower with S&P E-mini futures down five points. Dow E-mini futures down 41 and NASDAQ E-mini futures down six. The DAX in Germany is down half percent. The 10-year Treasury little change yield 1.75 percent. NYMEX crude oil up three-tenths percent or 13 cents to 47.85 a barrel. COMEX gold is up a tenth of a percent or a dollar 40 to 12.75, 60 an ounce. The euro, a dollar thirteen thirteen. The yen, one oh nine point three zero. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. It is eight forty eight on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. The city of Houston doesn't have zoning. It does have some land use rules that look a little like zoning, but they're not all that strict. If you want to put up a big new building on commercial property. For townhouses on a single-family plot, you can generally count on getting permission. For decades, Houston's hands-off approach was cause for head-scratching and even derision outside the city. Lately, though, zoning has come under fire for restricting economic growth, worsening income segregation, and even causing housing crises. So Houston's approach is looking smarter. For one thing, Houstonians seem to understand a basic economic truth that people in other cities struggle with, that allowing more housing to be built makes housing more affordable. And yes, housing remains pretty affordable in Houston. The median price of an existing single-family home there is $208,000. It's affordable mainly because the area has been able to keep sprawling outward, building new subdivisions on vacant land. But lately, demand has been rising for housing in walkable, close-in neighborhoods. And Houston has been doing a pretty good job of providing that. Developers there have been putting up apartment buildings at a much faster pace than in San Francisco or Los Angeles. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Michael, with Mark Zandi. Yeah, we're talking with Mark Zandi uh, from Moody's about the economic data. And, of course, if you talk about the economic data, you got to be talking about the uh, central bank and its reaction function to that data. We're seeing it reflected in the equity markets this morning with futures taking a bit of a dive after the numbers came out. Uh, but we're not seeing a whole lot reflected in the bond market. We're essentially unchanged, Mark. Uh, it doesn't matter what the numbers say. It doesn't matter what people from the Fed say. The market just doesn't believe the Fed is going to raise interest rates anytime soon. Right now, according to the Fed Funds Futures, anytime before December. Yeah, a bit perplexing. I'm, you know, I, I think the economists, uh, and I'm one of those, uh, have a, a somewhat different perspective on things. So we'll see who's right. Um, but yeah, I'm a, per, a bit perplexed by how sanguine the market seems to be about the, about the Fed. Uh, you know, there's some question about how we're measuring expectations in futures markets just because we're in kind of a very odd environment. So we, we might not be teasing out exactly what markets think, but, but regardless of the measurement issues, it does feel feel weird. Yeah. Um, do you think – well, here's a two-part question. Do you think the Fed can talk the market up, uh, assuming that the numbers keep coming in the way they have, before the June meeting? And if they don't, does that keep them from doing anything? Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of evidence. The Fed the policymakers don't like uh, changing policy without preparing markets. So the fact that they haven't been preparing markets for a rate hike uh, suggests that there will not be one 
in June. But they they can change that pretty fast. I mean, one speech by Janet Yellen where she's intimating that they're going to begin raising rates again, I think that would change things pretty quickly. So right. I think they can. It's just uh, they haven't, though. How do you respond away from models to the behavioral construct, almost an Austrian construct, that they need to raise rates so they've got wiggle room if they get an exogenous shock? They got to get the rate up. They got to get it over one percent. Granted, new terminal value. I get all the debates that are out there, but they got to have almost a moral responsibility to get rates normal. So, if there's something none of us can see coming, they've got room to come back down. Yeah, I, you know, Tom, I, I don't buy into that argument, or it doesn't feel right to me. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they they need to get the economy to full employment. They need to get inflation to target. And they got to do it in an environment where financial market conditions are relatively stable. You know, trying to get ahead of all of that, I think, would be a mistake and do be just be counterproductive, uh, make it more or less likely that they'll get the kind of increase in rates that everybody wants to see. So, yeah, I just I, I just don't think that's the right strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, you could take my my perspective on this is that you know it's a balance of risks, and the risks they're taking now is that the longer they wait, the greater the odds are they're going to have an overheating economy down the road, and we get into just a very classic kind of business cycle. And that's that to me is a greater risk for not moving now. Not that they need to get some wiggle mm-hmm. room. Well, there's a lot of argument that we are not in a classic business cycle, that we're in a, a new normal. Uh, we're going to see inflation, if it rises, rise very slowly. And the Fed has time to react. How comfortable are you with that view? Uh, I, I don't, you know, it, it's a different cycle, no doubt. And I think it goes to the fact that it was a just a, an incredibly difficult recession and financial crisis we suffered. So it's just taking time to recover. But I don't think the business cycle dynamics that we've seen since World War II have changed. I think they're the same, and they're going to start to manifest themselves. So yeah, I don't I don't think anything's new new about that. It's just taking longer because of what we went through. Is there a new globalization that is a backdrop to this with our new digital? You know, you read any historic uh, a history book on globalization, and they talk about logistics and transportations. The new logistics is digital. That's got to change the calculus, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and it goes to a broader point about uh, how we how we measure things. Uh, you know, I think GDP is is understated because there is a lot of economic activity that's out there. Some of which you've you've just mentioned mm-hmm. that it's just incredibly def- difficult to measure, and we're definitely not measuring it. And that measurement issue is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So. You know, my sense is, I can't prove it, you know, there's got a lot more work that needs to be done here, but my sense is that there's a lot more output GDP out there than than, than we're measuring right now. And the economy actually, I think the best measure of how the economy is performing, you know, gives us the best sense of what's going on is, is just jobs because we can measure jobs. How about housing? Uh, housing numbers come in very strong. Is that just a kind of weather-related quirk uh, for the month or is it picking up? Uh, well, I think you just take a step back and look. Unfortunately, the housing starts numbers have been pretty punk. You know, they've been kind of basically moving flat for the last uh, nine, twelve months. Uh, certainly off bottom, but you know, no, nowhere, nowhere, uh, nowhere close to where they need to be. So I expect them to pick up. I think there's been just a lot of supply side constraints. You know, you've got a lot of the home building industry is very interesting. You know, a lot of homes are built by very small builders. They require uh, construction land development loans. It's been tough for them to get that. Permitting issues. 
uh, hard to get uh, workers in some parts of the country because of uh, labor shortages, supply constraints. You know, there's uh, there's a trade group that uh, worries about lumber, and they're telling me that, you know, that you have beetles eating all the lumber in Canada because of, you know, the global warming. The, they're not getting killed, and so that's affecting construction in different parts of the Northwest. So you got all these nitpicky supply-side constraints on the market. But ultimately, I think we're going to see a lot more housing construction simply because households are forming, and those households have to live with some more by definition, and that means more housing's coming. Okay. Owner's equivalent rent, just one of the many series, is 3.1%. It's migrated from two on a very linear fashion up to 3.1 over the last four years. So it's got a nice established trend. When does the Zandi radar go up over rent increases? It's up. It's up. And that goes to my point about housing construction. It's, you know, well below what we need. That means vacancy rates are declining and vacancy rates, rental vacancy rates are 30, 35-year lows and falling. Homeowner vacancy rates are I mean, falling very rapidly and are going to be, uh, you know, close to record lows soon. So that means stronger rent growth. And going back to your point about momentum inertia, rent growth has a lot of inertial aspects to it. Yeah. Doesn't, that's like a, that's like a, you know, a, a aircraft yeah. carrier. So that's one reason why I do think that inflation is going to be above target because rent cost of shelter is a big chunk of, you know, inflation. And, you know, in the core CPI, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I think it's 40, 40, 45% yeah. of the CPI. Mark, thank you so much. Uh, Mark Zandi uh, with us this morning with Moody's. Uh, uh, Michael McKee, uh, I just put out on Bloomberg Radio Plus that owner's equivalent rent chart. That may be my chart, a uh, single best chart tomorrow. Ooh, it, it, so it is elevated. It is, it is where it was before the boom takeoff of 2003-ish and then 2006-ish. It's, it's, it's an inch. I did not realize how it's above its average back 20 years just to get everybody's attention. Yeah. Well, we're seeing some price pressures and, um, the question is how high, how fast, yeah. and when does the Fed take notice? So there we go, uh, Mark Zandi, um, and, and a major shout out to the optimists that we speak to uh, with some of the data that we've seen over the last three, four days uh, has had a certain lift to it. Still to come, industrial production coming up at uh, 9.15 yeah. Wall Street time. Uh, forecast to be up. We'll see. To those cautious, uh, maybe it speaks to two Americas, one doing very well. David Wilson has darkened the door. I think he's talking Home Depot. Another hour of Bloomberg Surveillance.